welcome to another episode of Flail Forward, a podcast about game design and amateurism, but mostly amateurism. Today, we're going to be talking about incentives in games, uh, what they are, what their purpose is, uh, what makes good incentives and bad ones, uh, dynamic and static incentives, how to create them, and um, all the other things that uh, get people to do stuff. We're going to do that. And today I have with me, I'm, I'm Rob. I don't know if I introduced myself already. <laughs> nope. Drop well forward podcast. And uh, I am presiding over the Sausage Fest today. Uh, with me, I have Karis Nauer. Hello. And Fred. Sup. And Jonathan. Good day. And Kevoir, inevitably. Hello. And Mark. Hello. Hello. So, talking about incentives. What are they? Okay, so... I like doing this and the more podcasts we do, the more I like doing it. It's a sort of like clarify what just the general English word means, um, like dictionary words. So I'm going to read that out here. Uh, incentive, a thing that motivates or encourages one to do something. And then secondly, a payment or concession to stimulate greater output or investment. Mm. So I like how the second one, uh, especially sort of, gets me thinking about incentives in, in mm -hmm. role-playing games. Mm -hmm. so it relates so, more to reward? Pardon? Because it relates more to a, like a reward? I, I just think because it, it, it comments on uh, output, like stimulate greater output or investment, mm -hmm. which are both really um, cool ways of looking at what an incentive might be trying to do in, in uh, role-playing games. Um, yeah. So what yeah, is the sense, there's... In a broader sense, they're stimulating behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like I like the idea of output where it might mean someone is becoming more in, or, or output where someone might be more active and investment where they just might be more engaged. Yeah. So the... What are some examples of incentives in RPGs? I mean, the, the one that comes to mind immediately is XP, right? Experience points. That's that's the big one that I think uh, pretty much anybody listening to this would would know and have experience with. Yeah, it's, um, which is pretty much kill shit to get better at killing bigger shit. Well, I mean, maybe that's there's. I mean, there's the thing when you say experience is that there's a lot of different things that that is i mean if we're talking about D, &D then yes you're correct and a lot of other rpgs but there's also rpgs that give you experience for failing roles or for like doing certain types of actions or for um you know doing certain things uh like blades of the dark distributes experience based upon um like uh role playing and pushing yourself and doing certain doing certain like fictional actions rather and than killing yeah, taking the biggest possible risks Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I yes, can't... but if we're going to put this in the context of what's most familiar, you're familiar to the audience. It's going to be the D and D context. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe. But I, I think when we look at incentives, I, I I made notes, so that's why I'm really active in in discussing this. <laughs> so nice. It it's sort of um, incentive of for doing. So so we have. Um, in role-playing games, we have um, a list of things that um, are required to be done before you receive the thing. Um, and so XP could be a general um, incentive, but why we get it varies broadly from every game. Um, even within the D&D systems or the the family of systems where we can go and talk about um cash for or loot loot for experience as opposed to killing mm -hmm. for experience yes well and i i think um moving a bit away from experience there's another incentive that when i was thinking about it um and i I don't have a, a good word for this, a good term. Maybe one of you will. But I, I, there's, I think there's two different kinds of incentives that we should think about when we're talking about role-playing games. And one of them is the 
Um, the incentive that is present in most role-playing games, which is the the wanting to sit down with your friends and imagine something collectively and play a game, which is an, an incentive in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are the mechanical incentives like experience and other things like that. So, And there's ways that you can, as a designer, use both of those to, uh, to your benefit. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think also within the the within the uh, sort of framework that you sort of that you laid out there, there there's also a distinction between um, the there. So the game itself is going to set up incentive in being fun. That's like kind of what gets your the buy in going, right? So mm-hmm. everybody sits down to play because the idea is that everybody's going to have fun when they sit down to play this, and that's that's hopefully the main incentive. Um, although there are a couple. I can think of a few other incentives that are not fun, uh, but perhaps have more to do with um, learning about a particular subject or um, having a particular experience that's not, while not fun, maybe illuminating. Um, I can think of like the game that comes to mind is uh, This War of Mine, which mm-hmm. is, is not a fun game, uh, but it yeah. has within it a, an experience that it lays out that is illuminating about what it's like to be in a, you know, immediate post-war situation. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. most definitely. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I, yeah, fun was kind of a, a minor term, although that's, I think what most people will go to. You're right that there's um, a lot of different, I don't know what to call them, like outside incentives or social incentives or something yeah, like meta that. Incentive. Meta incentive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah something like that where yeah where it's outside of necessarily the systems of the game like the game doesn't reward that or doesn't you know give you something for it but it still creates the space for you to to have fun or to have that experience right um, or whatever that may be yeah so so let's answer one of the direct questions from from the intro so what are the purposes of these incentives what are we what are we doing with them so I think it, it's really interesting. and I'm going to come at it from an angle, and I, I know there's more, but um, to create a target outcome, um, mm-hmm. and by that I mean if we incentivize players through their characters to take certain actions, um, we, we create a certain style, potentially a style of play, or... We emulate a certain genre or setting. Right. What are some other reasons we could we, we look at incentives and, and how they how they interlink with other gameplay things to to do stuff? Um, for me, oh, go ahead. I think it's just to reward what a player wants to experience. Mm. So you want to create an incentive so that. Um, players are likely to follow a rewarding path. Like, mm-hmm. um, if the incentive of the game is like experience, like you'd said, then you're rewarding playing to the system. Like, you're rewarding the power gamer. If your incentives are for the fiction, and that you say your character has uh, these tragic flaws, if you incorporate it in the, into the game, then you get some kind of reward. Then that is playing at, uh, that is incentivizing a path of play that should reward the type of player that wants to experience that interaction. Right. So, so these things are guiding behavior. Yes. Yes. They're also kind of shaping what the gameplay is expected to be about. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. They shape the space the game takes place in as well. Yeah. Because when you have your, your incentives aligned in a certain way, then, some actions will naturally come to the fore and some types of play will naturally come to the, like we talked about D and D briefly, like, you know, and where those incentives um, skewed the intent. Like, so in, in early editions, gold getting money was one of the main ways you got experience. Um, and in later editions that f- started to fall by the wayside to the point where it's not in, the fifth edition of the game and it wasn't in the fourth and wasn't in the third. So I think somewhere between second and third, it sort of fell away. And 
that changed the dynamic of the game to to be less of treasure hunting and more of um monster hunting monster slaying yeah or generic bad or bad guy slaying for example you know not necessarily a monster but Mm-hmm. One of one of those kinds, one of those incentives provides for a certain kind of story, um, and the other incentive provides for a different kind of story experience. You know, I think the monster slaying one lends itself to more um, the the heck more standard fantasy. Tr- was sorry, a more heck and flash kind of play style. Yeah, I was getting to that, but more than that, it was more like it sort of rewards the the stories that you see more in fiction, like there's less, there's less fantasy fiction about looting a large ancient dungeon and more fantasy fiction about fighting some ancient evil or new evil or evil King or something like that. Something where there's, there's a definite adversary to be, to aim the players at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even, even in second edition, the whole loot incentive was, less emphasized Mm. so it it had it started falling out long before third so so what makes for good incentive and and conversely what makes for a bad one um i i have an idea of what makes for a bad one but i want to hear what you guys say for i so i think i we mentioned blades in the dark earlier and i think blades in the dark does it's at least it's xp incentives very well um because it specifically lays out what you are expected to do for that experience. You are expected to struggle with issues from your vice and trauma and to um, relate your character's background and heritage and that kind of stuff. And then to do something specific to your playbook, like uh, deal with problems with violence or coercion or deal with problems with by sneaking. Um, And I think that that like that having those specific incentives on the sheet is or like on the sheet and in players minds is important um because then it creates that space where you go okay i know that i will get xp for doing x so i want to do x um so having incentives that are clear and actionable and simple i think are the um the three points that i would say are the most important um, yeah. and actionable is probably the biggest one there. I I think there's an underlying layer of incentives need to support the desired play style and aboutness of the game. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, like one incentive could be really good for one game, and but the same thing could be really bad in a different game because they're about different things. Yeah. So you're yeah. kind of you're kind of leading into oh sorry Jonathan, go ahead. I I um if I made a noise, then I I wasn't oh. trying to say anything. But I, <laughs> I do have a thought. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh um I think that good incentives aren't limited by other players. Um so specifically having the GM, the hand router of rewards i think is uh can be problematic mm-hmm. i agree i agree yeah that's that's why blaze of the dark it's it, it's by player like yeah you know the g the gm is, is part of that process but really you kind of you know the players can decide what xp they get yeah and yeah, yeah. in general I, I agree with that as well <clears throat> yeah, Re- I, rewards that just trigger by a certain thing happening are i, I I'm not going to comment on good or bad too heavily, but they're what I prefer. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I did, I did that in ashes where it's all, it's all player driven XP, like players give themselves XP anytime they want, just they have to do the thing to do it. I mean, which is lifted pretty much right out of blades in the dark, but um, you know, if you're going to steal, steal from good sources, shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, the one, the one thing I wanted to bring up, the the classification of of bad incentive what what i think defines a bad incentive is to use alert the, the big term from a couple podcasts ago a ludo narrative dissonance when you are gamifying a, a narrative that you don't want to have happen and then yep. you are surprised when that narrative takes place over and over again and, mm-hmm. and 
you are you you're baffled as to why. And he's like, I well, was, yeah. I was sorry. I was just talking with some friends about um, an RPG system, and I think it's called the Bright System. It doesn't have to do with the Netflix series, hmm. but um, the idea is that. Um, the reward structure is there to reward following a narrative arc. So when you create a character, you say what your narrative um, arc should be. So you say, I want to rival. And um, there are checkpoints that you need to accomplish in the narrative to um, whatever reward, like that you gain experience or level up based on hitting these checkpoints in the story. Mm. Um, but, which sounds interesting as a narrative structure, but the problem is when you level up, your reward is in being able to kill things better, which doesn't yeah. doesn't help the narrative. It's just right. giving you combat stats. Right. Um, so now either you're playing a game that is very narratively driven and you're getting rewards that don't impact the narrative at all, or mm -hmm. you're playing a game that's very combat focused. And now everyone's a power gamer trying to go through their narrative arcs as quickly as possible to get right. combat stats. Right. Um, so a perfect example, I think, of like a, a shitty incentive because the, the reward doesn't match with what you want the players to be accomplishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, for uh, a, a more common, I guess, example that people might be more familiar with, the cipher system that like The Strange uses has a very similar issue where mm -hmm. you, you get um, experience for doing certain like narrative actions, but all you get is combat um, rewards for the mm. most, for like 90% of it. I, I do yes, something I similar. I do something similar in, in legend craft where I, I state that like the, the points get are supposed to be awarded according to narrative accomplishment, but mm -hmm. I don't, def I don't define what that is. Like that's up to the GM and the players to decide, right? But you now, with that currency, they can buy anything, whether or not it's relevant to the accomplishment, right? Whereas uh, a game like uh, Burning Wheel, uh, you when you when you are like when you gain experience in a skill, you only gain experience in that skill and you have to have to fail at the skill a number of times in order to advance it. So it puts you, which I think is a, is a interesting incentive structure because it puts you in the position of wanting to ride the edge of that ability, like as much mm -hmm. as possible, because you want to be doing things you're going to fail at. And you also want to be doing things you're going to succeed at. So it actually really nicely approximates the psychological term zone of proximal development where you mm -hmm. are, on the edge of your ability to do something and you get better by failing and learning what doesn't work, you know, on the out on the edges of your competence. And that to me is a really, that's a really cool system. I wish I could take it, but it doesn't really <laughs> fit in with my incentive structure and my, my current reward structure. So I had to, you know, settle. That all, um, yeah, that, yeah. That mechanic also establishes, skill progression as non-linear because mm -hmm. if you're shitty at it you're going to fail more often and then gain more often but as you get better you're going to fail less and then gain less often yeah yeah which is i mean which is a, a fairly good approximation of how skills work in real life you know uh-huh yeah the um so Burning Wheel also has the Artha track where you yeah. can sort of help your dice rolls regardless of what the rolls are, mm -hmm. um, which is like, a, I don't know if you call that experience, but it's gained for following your beliefs and such. And it um, yeah, all that stuff. Which, which is like, um, falls into like a group of games where you have somewhat different uh, experience tracks, like some experience only some experience you receive can only be used for certain things and other experience you received is more broad and can be used everywhere. Uh, Blades in the Dark does this also. Um, uh, I was going to say Dungeon World, but they don't. But they... Um, no, they don't. But Blades in the Dark is... I don't know if it's an example of that because it doesn't actually use different H XP tr tracks. It, it's more like every bit of your character is one of the skills in, in Burning Wheel. 
where it's if you do that thing, you get to advance that thing rather than having pools of XP that you can spend in various areas. Well, but it but it is like that in the sense of because you have your XP that's gained for doing desperate actions, which mm-hmm. which follows that action. Yeah, yeah, that action or at least that group of actions, basically. Um, but they also have the the rest of the XP that you would receive at the end of a session, which you can put anywhere. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have playbook XP, and then you have skill XP, and then you have yeah. like that loose XP, which is the vice and background stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember. Sorry. Yeah, and then beyond that, you even have your um, training XP, which you can actively expend a, a different thing in from the game and put it towards. Yeah. training and gaining xp that way yeah okay i want to say something real quick because we're closed over for two sections now and i forgot to bring it up before uh non-exp incentives meta currencies other non-exp incentives that you've come up with let's talk about them for a few minutes at least yeah fate points there's one yeah uh, mm. doing something in story that earns you a bonus on a later roll that's a definitely a kind of incentive yeah. um uh, Narrative control. Narrative control, yeah. Yeah, if it doesn't give you a bonus on a roll, Fate Point can also deliver narrative control. Um, I think that's probably the best example. Like I, The ones in other games, um, the one that comes to mind immediately is the Fantasy Flight Star Wars slash Genesis system where they have this sort of, uh, um, well, they, they're, what was it called? Destiny and something else points. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but they um, essentially all they do is allow you to boost a roll. Um, and if I recall, it's not by that much. And then the game master can do it to increase one of his roles. And that actually makes it's more dangerous for the GM than it is good for the players. And what we found ourselves doing was just not spending it ever because it was, when the GM got it, it was way gnarlier than when we would spend it. And so mm. it was, it created this sort of thing where the, it didn't flow around the table like at all. Mm. Um, because Which I think something I, that's something I tried to achieve with the shanks in my game. Mm. Because the, the premise there is that when a roll is made, any other player can fudge it. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to have narrative payoff later. Right. Yeah, but that's that's you, what you're tying that into a specific instance, in, narrative instance in the game, right? Whereas the, the sort of Star Wars thing was just a mechanical, I do this, you get this type thing. It didn't, it didn't have any connection to anything. You know, it was just an arbitrary, well, I want, the, I want this role to be easier slash more difficult. And um, it just didn't, it didn't, like when we were playing Fate, it was Fate points flowed around the table fairly readily because, you know, that's a reroll or a, or a plus two and a plus two is quite a bit in, in Fate. And, you, you know, to bring in your aspects of your character to like play your character, you're, you're spending Fate points. So it happens a lot. And like having your Fate point, your, your aspects triggered by the Game Master, like is the big thing they do. And it felt the the economy felt much more vibrant because mm-hmm. the the reroll and upgrade thing was sort of baked into the math of the game at a pretty basic level such that if you really wanted to succeed at something you were probably going to be invoking at least one aspect if not two and that was you know spending fate points and then giving the the game master the chance to invoke your things badly and and so yeah, it felt much well, more, uh, much more interesting and I'm, much more dynamic. I'm not sure how active in economy my shanks will be because it hasn't been played yet. Yeah, but I, I kind of meant them to be less churny than fate points, mm-hmm. but have just as, but it, to have more long term impact. Right. Yeah, well, that's something you can skew that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, other meta currencies. 
I'd like to ask Fred. Uh, I, I don't really know where these fall, but he would have a much better idea. Um, can you speak to strings and how they might be oh, yeah. considered uh, uh, incentives and, and maybe not incentives? I, I don't know how they classify exactly. Yeah, I was um, I was thinking about how to like talk about those earlier. Um, I th- I think strings are a, a piece of incentive, but they they act a little uh, a little weirdly. Um, so if you're not familiar, I, I know I've talked about them before on the podcast, but real quick, uh, strings are a thing from Monster Hearts, wherein um, if you make certain moves or do certain things, you take a string on a, another character. Um, which basically means you have a certain amount of social control. It's usually um, said as like you have the power to intimidate them or you have a secret on them or something like that. Um, And so uh, strings act as one, an incentive to be dramatic, um, which is what a lot of Monster Hearts does. It incentivizes in and of itself um, is, you know, to gain that social control and to lose it and spend it and to, you know, be kind of conniving and dramatic. Um, and they also act as an incentive that you can spend as a player to get people to do things within the fiction. Um, so you can spend strings at any point that you want to get another PC or an NPC to do um, something that you want them to do. And thus and use incentive. Is that yeah. like a written mechanic on each playbook? Is it like spend a string to get someone to do this? Or is it like player to player hey uh if you do this i'll give you a string yes it is yeah it's um well it's more you spend one of your strings so like if i if we're playing and i have a string on jonathan say i can say to jonathan oh um could you go and fight this guy i will spend one of my strings and you will get experience for doing this um and thus that acts as an incentive that players can utilize, which is part of what makes strings so interesting, is that they're like a, an incentive currency that is given to players rather than where incentive currency usually is given, which is to the GM, um, if it's given to anybody at the table at all. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's hard to think about, actually. Like, it's hard to square it up in... Well, it's hard for me to square it up in my head about in this discussion of incentives. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not it's not quite clear where they lie in terms of like they're almost there to incentive to incentivize drama, you know? They're they're mm-hmm. they're they're there to just put like here's a here's a way you can fuck with somebody. <clears throat> and you're going to have fun doing it. That's the idea. It's right. like you get to you get to like pull somebody's strings. That's the whole thing. Yes. And and so when you're doing it, you're like you get to puppet their character for a minute for like you do this thing, even though you don't want to type stuff. So yeah. that's, that's a very, I think that's a very, very powerful incentive in any game. Um, it's just that in most games, like taking temporary control of somebody's character is generally associated with like, the, that's like the worst thing that can happen almost, you know, mm-hmm. getting yeah, mind control or yeah, it's very yeah. frowned upon to yeah. take away a player's agency over their character. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, and note that you're not taking away their agency. I mean, you're, you're telling them do this thing for me, but it's, it's a choice they can make. They can take that string or they can reject it. Yeah. Right. Well, um, some, it, no, but sometimes a, don't some mechanics though, like have things like this character gains a string on you when you do it. Yes. Yes. Right. And then, so, so those are like, you are granting them, agency was your i guess it was still your choice to give to use that ability and grant that the target strings on you oh you're not understanding what invoking a string looks like but uh, that's yeah well no so like what i'm what i'm saying is so there's there's a Uh in monster arts called pulling strings one of the things you can do when you pull a string is you spend a string to tempt someone to do something so as i said earlier like i have a string on jonathan Mm -hmm. i can say go fight this guy for me and then I go from having one string on Jonathan, zero strings on Jonathan. Right. If he if he does that, mm-hmm. if not nothing, if not nothing happens. Yeah, and um, yeah, and it's more uh, subtle, and there's benefit to the other character also. Yes, like they it, get it, an experience. Yeah, and if you say to take that example another step, if Fred says go fight this guy, he doesn't get to literally say how I fight him or anything. It's like mm-hmm. I still. It, it's like literally, you know, being in school 
and saying, go fight. If you go fight this guy, I'll whatever, I'll buy you okay. beer or something like that. Right. Then I misunderstood what's how strings. Yeah. yeah. He, he, I think Fred's first description was less. Uh, Whoops. Yeah. I may have screwed up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think you, you got it, but it was more like it had people played it before they would know better how, yeah. how it worked. Um, mm-hmm. It just wasn't any, it doesn't matter. It was fine. <laughs> but yeah, strings are an, are an odd incentive. I think they're really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I really like strings as a concept, but they're also something that is very weird to play with. In fact, I was just, uh, just the other day was introducing um, some people to monster hearts, uh, multiple of whom have never really played a role playing game before. And I was like, Oh yeah, you can tempt people to do things with strings. And they went, what the fuck? it it just even to people who haven't played a role-playing game just it feels weird right Um, but i think that's part of what makes it so good i think (laughs) part of what makes it feel weird is that most role-playing games don't have that kind of um means of you know throwing a carrot in front of your fellow players yeah and then mechanizing it right right yeah. Like most games don't have inter-character dynamics at all, in the at least not mechanized. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't think you expect the the hard choice. Like, are you going to take this or not? Like the the person who's enacting the string is it, the decision is more straightforward. But for the person who's who's um deciding to take it or not it's like a real moment i mean it depends on how severe it is and how much it aligns with you or whatever but it can be a real moment of like should i or shouldn't i and like you you can't see the the immediate benefits maybe or you, it's hard to it's again i think it it just is uh something that sort of emulates real life decision making like it's not clear what the right move to do is Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it presents a usually a narrative quandary, if not a moral quandary yeah. for the character. And most players are not prepared for that because games don't go there, usually. Hmm. Yeah, especially if you find because although I framed it as PCs using strings, NPCs can also use string so i have definitely before gone as like oh i'm the villain but i have a string on one of the pcs so i will use that string to make him betray his friends or whatever else mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and it, it is like most things in monster arts a tool for drama a tool to incentivize um being dramatic or being melodramatic i really should mm-hmm. say so Ooh. would it be fair to say then that most uh, incentives that we can think of play to either the narrative dramatic elements of the game or the mechanical um, success failure mechanics. Mm. Yeah. Like, are there other. I, I mean, like, you didn't quite include it, but, well, like, you kind of mentioned it, but I want to be explicitly clear the most common category in a role playing game is giving EXP. That's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back, going back, going back to the beginning, I think there's three kinds of incentives, and one of them can be broken down. In, again, there are meta incentives for the players. Mm-hmm. There are narrative incentives, and then there are character incentives. The character incentives can be broken down into development, which is personal. Mm-hmm in a more literary sense of the character. And then there's the other side of it is advancement, which is the character getting better at what they are. Right. That's where most game incentives lie. Yeah. um, But I I think it's sort of conflating two things. That's the tradition. Yeah. That's the tradition. But there's the why and for what, right? Like, I think in a lot of ways, what Mark is sort of tackling is for what. Um, The why. um, Or the the what and the for what. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is all sounding ridiculous. (laughs) 
what you're you're getting the the thing for yeah right Right. yeah why what does the yeah exactly what does the incentive uh lead you to and it's to either enhance the narrative or enhance the mechanic yeah but so, and, okay, so that's and a, you you yeah. could in a game be using the same XP to do many different things, right? Exactly. Yeah, XP right. is like the intermediary between like what it means to level up. So yeah. if your your game uses it in a way narratively, then that's one thing. Or it can use experience in a way mechanically, but it's just an in between to what yeah. the incentive is is producing game effective. Is is it then useful to to separate the incentive itself from the currency used? Uh, potentially, yeah. Um, you could have multiple incentives for the same currency. Yeah, generally uh, you do, I think. Or you could have one currency giving many types of rewards. Yeah. Although that can, I will say, that type of thing can. That type of thing can be a trap. Having one currency do multiple things. <laughs> yeah, there's some yeah. there's some games where you can spend um, experience before you spend it to level up. You can spend experience to like like one point of experience to reroll a die. I've seen that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to getting a long term benefit, you you spend a very small amount to get a short term benefit. Um, and that so in that sense, like experience is both like. Um, but falls into the category currency. of of meta incent, meta meta currency and also advancement currency. Uh, yeah, I I'm trying to think of so a lot of the games that I that are coming to mind for me uh, use XP as a means of getting better mechanics. Are there systems that we can think of where like so let's let's take a D and D example, I guess. Um, I can reward a player in D&D for uh, fighting monsters, which is part of the rulebook, or for uh, narrative advancement, which is like a mm-hmm. throwaway line in the rulebook. But ultimately, that experience is used to make the character better mechanically. And there might be some like special abilities and things that they get, but are there systems where the emphasis is that your character progresses in a narrative way? Like, you gain more um you know narrative control or well i mean you can kind of look at fate i think for this because you can gain more aspects right um Mm -hmm. as as you level generally you don't gain more but you can change them okay i mean i I guess Um, that's along this it's not uh i think you do technically at some point gain more uh just very slowly, but that's a whole other thing. I think. Yeah, but anyway, those while, so. whether it's changing or more, I mean that sure. that is tackling the the narrative focus of your character. Mm-hmm. I mean, although those play into your mechanical effect, also, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I can't, I can't think of any. Um, not off the top of my head, at least. Uh, well, you know, Riddle can. Steel. I is can kind because of my way. game does that. Yeah. Is it published? <laughs> how? how you... <laughs> yeah, how? Sorry. No, I like it genuinely. Like, how, for the podcast, how does that work? Um. Well, there are... The game has merits and flaws, and they have... Like, each one is kind of either like mechanical or social or emotional, they fall into these broad categories. So if you have, say, some trauma in your past and it's represented as a flaw of X points, spending points to buy that down kind of represents your working through that trauma. Cool. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that I is cool. That, and I can see that as a as an interesting like. So if you are embodying the narrative of your character, and you're actively wanting to uh, 
solve this issue, this character flaw. You can, mm-hmm. like, the incentive is there narratively to take actions to do that in character. You can then be rewarded in experience points. You can then be spent to, like, mechanically alleviate that. So there's a narrative incentive to doing the narrative actions. In- well, if there's... It- if there's not a narrative incentive, at least there's the potential for that narrative incentive. Right. Like a lot of my game relies on characters having those kinds of aspects and then the GM like toying with them. Mm-hmm. Like not in a malicious way, but like wrapping those, making those aspects of the characters relevant to the narrative. Right. Right. Yeah. The one I was going to bring up is um, Riddle of Steel, which has a very interesting um, XP loop. Uh, So the way it works is you have spiritual attributes. These spiritual attributes are things like uh, compassion or um, love of a particular country or a particular person or um, a goal. And when you do something in-game, towards that either supports that idea or puts you closer to that goal you get a you get an experience point when it when it happens um Mm -hmm. and then when you undertake when you so and then those experience points go up to five in each attribute that you have that is that represents one of these things and um you can then spend points out of that to advance aspects of your character buy off flaws or, or or stuff like that um, but what's really interesting is that is what is during the game when you're doing things that um, are, are directly related to those things, you get your current experience pool as a bonus as bonus dice on the rolls, and it creates this this and you're spending points down out of them to advance permanently. So you're 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 caught in this loop of doing the thing getting better at the thing until you so you're you're getting more bonus dice the more you do it and so you're on this track of doing this thing more and more and then when you spend experience points out of it you go down but some part of you permanently gets better and you can narratively tie it to something you were doing while while undertaking those tasks um Mm -hmm. but it's so it's so locked into the driving the character to to experience and advance their their own story because that's how you get experience you actually do it by by going down the road and and supporting these things that you declared at the start of your during character creation um yeah that's very similar to what i'm yeah doing yeah yeah, it's a it's a really interesting incentive system because it just it's it's it just this the loop is so good. It puts you back to zero, and then you want to do the thing more, and then you get better at it, and then you're down. You spend it out, and you're down to zero. Um, it's a very cool, very cool system. Um, <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, before we get too much further um, are it was actually sort of the idea of, for this podcast were dynamic incentives. And I was thinking about these because um, in my game, there's a number of ways that players can uh, drop XP. Um, and when they drop XP, what happens is, is they drop it into a common pool. Um, and then at the end of the session, that pool is divided up. And for, every three experience points you have after it's all divided up, everybody gets one advance. And the reason I do it like that is because um, I want there to be sort of this, this minimum, if, if players want to advance during a session, they have to do a minimum of three things um, that, that sort of push their character forward. Um, and these can be different things. These can be risks. These can be, um, using, uh, embodying your loss or, um, using your coping mechanism, uh, in game, uh, just taking simple actions, um, 
So these are not like roles or things that are risky. This is acting out what your character is feeling. Um, and, but the reason I don't make it just a checklist for people is because I want, I want the natural flow of the game to not be impeded by the XP pool. And what I mean by that is that if somebody is the, the spotlights on, on them in a particular session for whatever reason, and they're doing a bunch of things, um, all of that experience that they are generating is divided up amongst the entire group. And, you know, and some people are more passive and they don't, they don't, they don't, uh, speak up as much. And one of the things I wanted to avoid was punishing those people for just, just for showing up. And so I made it this sort of pooled system where the, the, I, because I didn't want, like I said, I didn't want to impede the, like the natural flow of a game because a lot of times I see the, that, um, experience systems will, will force a certain kind of play where it's not natural. Um, if someone, like, yeah, like comes somebody to game and is shy, they can continue being shy without being excluded from the progression. Yeah, yeah they can. And, but the thing is, it's also like when you're not doing weird stuff like killing five sheep on the way home from a dungeon to just get over that threshold, or um, which was a story that happened in early D and D because the sheep had hit dice and there was a conversion ratio, <laughs> um, or or like you know just pushing that next skill check in in uh, Burning Wheel to get. Uh, a success or fail on on something you know where where you're you're it, it feels contrived um and i think it's good in that for those occasions to have a way for your incentives to dynamically shift and i hadn't i hadn't seen that before in in an rpg and the the except for the place where i got this sort of like pooled experience from which was from the um second edition of the new world of darkness books which they have this sort of like pooled xp type thing um where it's divided up at the end of the session and i i i, I couldn't think of anything else and i was wondering if you guys had ever come across like something where the, the where the incentives can move around um dynamically in the game to to help support the narrative or to at least not um get in its way I don't know about that, but like if you're aware of how to use the narrative and then how to apply incentives toward it, mm -hmm. you can you can use the narrative to to steer the incentive value. Like even if that's not part of the system, like <clears throat> even if the game is based around you know, getting into fights and yada yada yada. If there, there, if if the if the reward system is flexible enough, mm -hmm. you can apply that to non-combat situations like trying to influence someone or what have you. Mm -hmm. So. A good reward, a good incentive system is pliable enough to to be relevant to any narrative scenario. Hmm. Anybody else? I do. <laughs> um, I'm the. I don't really know of any ones that are like specifically non-static uh the only thing that comes to mind when you're talking about that uh is the goals system that is used in uh, stars without number hmm. which is a player defined um goal thing wherein you say i would like to do x and then you said that it gets assigned an xp value depending upon how hard that thing is to do i believe it's like one to three xp mm -hmm. um, something like that 
Uh, and that can, that I believe there is some provisions in the rule to allow that to be somewhat fluid to say like, oh, if you state X as your goal, and then suddenly something about X changes, you can say it's X plus Y is your goal. Mm. Um, but that is the only thing I could think of. And that is not as, I don't think that's exactly what you're looking for. No. No, I mean it, it is kind of because you're allowed to you're allowed to but it doesn't change it's like you don't go down a different path suddenly. Like you're not you're not suddenly incentivized to go do something else because something changed in the narrative, right? I mean you're still you're you're just adding to it as am I No, I I can well I don't I can't speak to the rule book specifically, but I can speak to how uh Adam Coble does it for Mm-hmm. Uh, his show, and he says, change him whatever you want. Um, I mean, within reason, it's usually per session. Mm-hmm. So if something drastically changes, and I mean, obviously, like obvious things would be like, I'm going to kill so-and-so, and then they die, and it wasn't you, and right. that's just impossible for you. Right. Um, or, yeah, so there's some things that, because of the nature of the goals like maybe it happens or maybe it's just irrelevant at a certain point mm-hmm. um that's that's kind of what i was getting at with the the pliability of the of the reward system because in this the rewards are defined narratively not mechanically so the players get to decide what their goals are that's the, the goal is the incentive. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, however the game defines the value of that incentive is a different aspect. Yeah. Than saying you get XP for this. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and just to clarify, I think the one of the main caveat or not caveat that what like one of the important things about the rule is you can't like uh as you make your final swing at the at your enemy uh and he has one hit point you can't say oh my goal is to kill this guy or whatever right like <laughs> it, that's right. why you do it like a per session type of uh, goal yeah. creation yeah it has to be somewhat long term mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. it doesn't have to be long term but it has to be something you or it can't be um, can't be on the fly right with the i'm only thinking of an example similar to that that's um in tenra bencho zero um the idea is that you define a bunch of goals for your character and then as you progress through the game you get to increase how important some of these goals are for your character and Mm then uh resolve them or change them so as the narrative develops, you can say, okay, well, my goal is no longer to keep this village safe. It's to uh, only keep the um, mayor safe or something like this. Like, I don't care about the rest of the village. I just care about this person. Um, and that, like, the importance of that goal can scale and shift as you play the narrative. So in that way, the importance of the um, incentive changes but i think when what car is saying it's still the incentive is accomplish your goal to get experience so Mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah i don't know that it necessarily changes all that much it's mostly just the quantity or flavor of it Hmm. yeah and then then i suppose you have bonds which aren't a goal per se um at least not necessarily a character goal, but it's more like a player goal to resolve them or they become irrelevant. And so you, you can kind of, you resolve them, get XP, or they become irrelevant and you, you change them or get rid of them. Bonds from, from Apocalypse World. And so, yeah. sorry, what did I say? No, you said bonds, right? I'm just bonds. Confirming. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking specifically dungeon world, but yeah, Apocalypse okay. World has uh has something similar hex yeah, i think they have uh, like relationships or something i yeah. think something like that yeah. Yeah. right and the 
there are ways you can get XP. And then you can also that also they have certain actions that trigger uh Yeah. yeah. It's dungeon whatever dungeon world, the bonds are different than mm. what Apocalypse World has. The, okay. Um they they almost literally just exist to narratively I mean, maybe not always narratively. There may be mechanical stuff involved, but it doesn't have to be. Mm. Just sort of narrative fuel that once you accomplish uh, the or resolve the bond is how they say it, then you get both get XP for it and you either make a new one or move on. Mm. And it's... Um, it, it's ever changing. Like you can, you can just add them through play, right? Uh, as they make sense. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't think there are any other dynamic sort of systems I can think of. Yeah. No, me neither. I, I, I mean, and then not a lot of systems like sort of reward what's going on at the table type stuff you know what i mean like there's there's not just generally speaking there's not just um you know or the players for showing up type stuff generally it's Mm -hmm. it's it's there's things that have to be done and there's usually like a chart of um you know here's the rewards for doing these things type stuff and Mm -hmm. it kind of i i always sort of thought those that was weird because it never sort of like it should because you would think right the xp should be granted for what whatever's most important in the story at that at that moment um yes and so having like a chart where it's a static number like it just says like these things are this important in the story always you know and so that's why i wanted to bring up this idea of dynamic uh incentives because like i think there's there's something that's not done enough to to sort of aid because the whole point is like to aid the creation of this story that's that's happening right it's it's right aim this thing in a good direction and when we have these incentives that sort of like sit there and don't take the direction into account then that's where or at least personally that's where i find friction you know yeah that there's really a limited capacity for a system to define objectives yeah so you know once you take the step of shifting that burden like as a designer giving it to the players that note that empowers them Mm -hmm. and also lessens the design work of having to figure out what means what or what is worth what yeah that's true too Cavores, hmm. you want you wanted to say something i did uh but your conversation looped around to what i wanted to say <laughs> oh. sorry about that say your thing then no i mean like you covered it uh i was just oh. going to like Basically, when you were talking about it, you were missing something that I thought was important, and then you talked about it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Okay, that's fine. No big deal. Just cut that. Uh, Cool. Uh, Well, I think that's uh, we covered. uh, I think we covered everything at least that I wanted to get to. Um, Did anybody else have anything they want to say about uh, where we put incentives in games? Or where 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 potentially you can go wrong in putting incentives in games? Uh, kind of, but I think it can wait for next week's episode. <laughs> we mostly covered okay. the basics this time, so see you. So you will hear us next week, and we'll talk, pick up this conversation in fifteen minutes. But you know, <laughs> time is strange. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a nice week. Yeah, it is. Yes, have a nice goodbye. Good night. Nice, yeah. We're gonna park it there for a little bit and uh come come on back next week and hear us talk more about this thing. So for uh Car Fred, Jonathan Cavoir, Mark, and myself, good night. <laughs> <laughs>